enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together. We talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classic down to that rare gem that's chairman of the National Orient Bank and owns the <laughs> Wing Kong Trading Company, but is so reclusive. No one has laid eyes on it in years. At the back of your video store shelf. This week, we are concluding I Made a Thing, our John Carpenter series, with his best horror movie of all. <laughs> yes. Now, you know, it was, uh, we could have done Mouth of Madness. Tim, I need to bring it up again. Tim is too afraid to cover that film, which is fine. Terrifying. Very <laughs> fine. Um, you know, Starman, no. Memoirs of an Invisible Man, absolutely not. Uh, maybe we could have done Vampires, but you know what? Every once in a while, we throw ourselves a bone. And this yes. one is for you, but it's also for us. From 1986, it's Big Trouble in Little China. Tim, what I assume you have been. What You got any Chinatown stories? Well, sure. And I have talked about it a little bit on the show. But um, the first time that I ever went to Chinatown, and this this goes back a long way. And a lot of this will come up you know, throughout this episode. But... Um, I have, since I was a kid, uh, always had a huge fascination with Asian culture. And what that was and what I think it stems from is that even as a kid, like, I, I think it just speaks to, to like what I require as a person for happiness in life. Like, whereas other kids were into superheroes it wasn't enough for me to watch something. I had to do that. Like <clears throat> I remember being so affected by the outsiders when I saw it that I was, I literally can tell you, I could show you right now the backyard that I was walking in and none of my friends were, were available at that time. They were all just, you know, like you go to your friend's houses and knock on the doors and yeah. you know, they're busy or whatever. And everybody was busy and I was just in that backyard and I was so affected by that movie that I just, I felt what was probably like an anxiety, like, like I was having an anxiety attack in this kid's backyard because of my reaction to the film, The Outsiders. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know what that feeling, I didn't know how to get it out of me and, and what I realized now at that time was that I wanted to be an actor yeah. um, and that's what I was struggling with. Um, so it was the same thing for, for martial arts too, that whereas I could see, you know, Superman or, or whomever, but that didn't appeal to me as much as, you know, these, these superstars of martial arts movies and the, the fact that I felt like I could do that. Like I, I literally remember being, um, standing on, you know, the monkey bars thing and, you know, trying to. To not to jump more out than up because otherwise you're going to knock yourself out. Right. And over and over and over trying to make myself fly. <laughs> just, just if I just try Sheer hard will. enough yeah. Yeah, that I could do it. And 
And while that didn't come to pass, I was watching these martial arts movies and seeing these people do these things. And I knew it wasn't an animation. It wasn't a comic book. It was whether it was trampolines or not, at least at that age, I'm like, I know that I'm watching a real film and I know that those people are doing those things. So that started my fascination. And then you couple that with growing up next to uh, a Japanese family and it, the, the kid in that family was my same age, but he lived with his mom and his grandparents and his uh, grandpa was from Japan and he was a fascinating man. He, he taught psychology and, um, and philosophy. He was in his sixties and I'd see him just walking around the yard on his hands. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, he was just a, like a physical specimen, yeah. like this really interesting guy. And then two doors down from that, we had a, uh, like a, a Japanese ping pong champion. Like this guy was like superhuman ping pong player. Yeah. Um, so I had, I had this weird influx of Asian culture Around me, just growing up in in you know small town you know northwest Indiana, so my first trip to so we both had kind of a uh, Axis influence <laughs> as we <laughs> right as we my, were growing up. Mine may be a little less evil, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, but yes. So so I go into Chinatown for the first time, and it was it. It certainly was the first time that I was of uh, that there were more people of a different race than I was. And um, it to me, I, I was young enough that I didn't even really understand like how that could exist in this day and age, that how there could be like a grouping of people of a different race, like Where's all the other non-Asian people? But there were none. This would have been in the mid 80s. And if you go to Chinatown now, um, you'll still be wildly in the minority for, for sure, sure. As, as anything other than Asian, um, regardless of what you are. So it, first of all, just as as having the interest that I have in ethnicity, I think it's amazing that a place like that still exists. Yeah. Um, and so my experience there the first time around was feeling um, just like an outsider, uh, like a complete outsider. Like I, I'm not a part of this. And even though my friend didn't speak Japanese or didn't grow up in Japan or whatever, he at least looked like everybody else, sort of, you know, he's a quarter Japanese, but, um, but he, he at least blended in. I, I just, it was the first time that I felt like I'm, I'm not special here or, or I'm not special for the, for the right. I don't even know how to put that. Like, yeah, no. like, like where's my world domination gone? Um, but no, not like Listen, that. That, you're not alone. Like a lot of the scares, a lot of people feeling that way. Sure. And um, so it was uh, that, that was the first impression. And then going back, it's just, I think like it, it just fills me with such um just a feeling of excitement that people would continue with the traditions of, of their culture. Now, as you get a little bit older, uh, some of the, like the sheen of the thing starts to wear away when you realize that every shop that you go into is literally got the exact same things that the other (laughs) 15 shops that you went into. But, um, but no, it's, it's fascinating. And I love that it still exists. And I've, I've, st- I've even stayed overnight in Chinatown before. And um, it's just, uh, I think it just goes to show that while I don't know what the balance, the right balance is between 
there being an understanding and uh, there being a deep understanding that people are at their core the same from from race to race. Yeah. That there is something valuable in our differences, too. And I and I, sure. I don't know what that balance is or if we can ever really get there. But I'm just glad that it's still well, the, the balance is uh, not thinking your difference is better than their difference. <laughs> maybe that yeah. is the balance. <laughs> OK, maybe that's 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 and probably a- your difference is weird and shouldn't be allowed or should be pushed to the side. Right. Yes. And uh, no, that's that's probably right. <laughs> I think you're right. But um, but I think that it's it's cool, though, that well, I guess what I guess where I was going is the idea that a difference in and of itself isn't bad. Right. That that there can be those cultural differences, even if they seemingly like if you walk down the street in Chinatown seem to be driven by being of a different race. That ultimately that, like you said, it's not about better or worse. And the fact that there is a difference there and that that not everybody is the same, that there is still something good about that or or at least educational about that. Yeah. And I think that that's probably the biggest part is just to realize that whatever whatever you think the world is, that there's always another world outside of that. Yeah. And which is a big part of this movie, too. Um, now. I I think that you know that that fascination with with Asian culture you know certainly drove my love of of this movie but it was it was also the idea of and kind of coupled with the the Chinatown visit was like the idea of of friendship and so this movie has as much to do with friendship as it does like different cultures yeah and that that friendship sort of wipes away those differences you know and and i think that that's really important i you know not not to jump ahead into something but at the at the very end of this movie and it doesn't matter how many times i watch it literally you and i just watched it with commentary so it wasn't even the full experience yeah in the final or nearly final scene of this movie Every single time for all these years, and I saw this movie in the theater starting in 1986 till now, when this movie ends in that moment, it it feels like your best friend is moving away. Like it leaves you with that sort of emptiness. I one time, my family helped a, a friend move. This was in fifth grade. And his dad had been out in New Jersey for a couple of years and he was just had to go there for his job. Yeah. So his dad was gone. It was just his mom and his and his other brother, younger brother. So my family had to go and literally help this family move. And to this day, I will never, ever, ever forget like, you know, moving sucks and it's the same thing all the time. But, you know, we would finish loading all the boxes, finish packing up the, the trailer and the moving truck and all that stuff. And my family's car was driving away. And I turned around and there's my friend like waving goodbye, like crying his eyes out and just realizing like this is the last time I'm ever going to see it. Like, I mean, I've I've grown up with this kid and now I'm waving through a a rearview window at him and that's that's just it. And that's that's the impact as as you know. 
hyperbolic as that sounds, it, it, it that's the impact that this movie has on me is that feeling of friendship that I think recognizes the differences and the the interest between different races, but but there's always something deeper than our differences. Yeah. And our and those are the connections and the similarities. So yeah. Chinatown, <laughs> great food, uh, similar shops. Yeah. They have a K-pop uh, shop now, you know, to kind of keep up with the times. <laughs> they literally do. Um, but uh, but no, I a, to, just to be. Is it a North K-pop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, it, it felt Chinatown. friendly when I was oh, okay. in there. So, yeah, yeah. there's no electricity. But. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. There weren't just like people like like in droves, like crying because a leader died and it looks really weird. <laughs> Um, but no, there's that. And I mean, there's, there's all sorts of sorts of neat things in Chinatown. Would it surprise you if I told you I've never been to Chinatown? <laughs> I've been to two Chinatowns actually. Yeah. I, uh, I've been to the Chicago Chinatown many times and the Los Angeles Chinatown, which I was mistaken because I thought like I'm going to California for the first time. Yeah. I've never been to California in my life. Forget everything else that California has to offer. I want to go to Chinatown. Like that was my number one goal. Yeah. Forgetting that the Chinatown that I'm envisioning is San Francisco's Chinatown. Right. Not Los Angeles' right. Chinatown, which is really not much of a Chinatown at no. all. I mean, it's fine. Yeah. But it's there's not much to it. It was, it was great. But I mean, there's there's really great foods. There's this um there's a Danish that, you know, it's a good size glazed looking donut but in the corners of it and in the middle it's uh slices of hot dog oh <laughs> it's actually fucking delicious yeah, that sounds awesome um there are there's a place that i go to for aches and pains a pharmacy and i just go in there the guy speaks absolutely no english i speak no chinese and but i just go in there and i point to parts of my body and i go <laughs> and he goes ah <laughs> And then he awesome. has this green pad, this sticky pad. And you, somebody listening is like, oh, like icy hot. No, <laughs> this is different. You put it on and, and, and like if I put it on my knee the last time I used it. And what's weird is that you instantly feel like one like six inch by four inch part of your body is soaking wet. Like it just feels wet. Like wow. it's like somebody's pouring water on it. And it literally just zaps any pain that you've ever had in your entire life in that part of your body gone completely. It's like magic. It's wow. amazing. Um, but yeah, it's uh it's a wonderful place. And I, I literally, See, I'm not a, you know, I don't like fish and I know a lot of their food is seafood based. And so I, for, especially as a child, I'm like, I don't want any part of it. Also any imagery I'd ever received was of like, just like dead geese hanging in windows. And I'm like, that sounds <laughs> disgusting. Well, you make a great point there. Growing up in Merrillville, uh, Indiana, um, you know, not a lot of families are going to bother to try to take their younger kids to a Chinese restaurant because it's like, let's just not fuck with this. Right. But we we went to a place called Wa Yen, which was right across from the Y&W uh, drive-in movie theater in Merrillville on Broadway. And Yen was was absolutely fantastic. And for the record, and I know that people are going to know that I'm right about this. 
Does anybody remember when egg rolls used to be fucking egg rolls and they were a good like, uh, yeah, like a baseball, like the end of a baseball <laughs> width around? Yeah, those were the, the legit ones. And the first couple now times, just like spring rolls. Yeah, it's bullshit. And the first couple times I went, I remember I got like a cheeseburger or chicken nuggets or whatever. And then finally, I'm like, OK, I'm going to try some of this stuff. So credit to my parents for like, you know, introducing me to that. And I remember the first thing was probably um, like deep fried chicken, you know, yeah. with just that sort of like brown sauce on it. But um, so I was introduced to that pretty early and um, and still love Chinese food. But, yeah, you're right. When you go to Chinatown, it's not just seafood. You walk in and you walk past the aquariums. <laughs> right. Of the food. <laughs> right. Featuring the food. You know, it's just a, it's literally a live action menu. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's other stuff there, but it's. There's great food there. Um, interesting. Uh, yeah, I should say, as an adult, I do enjoy uh, Chinese food. Now I have found several items that don't involve seafood that I I do like eating. I can handle shrimp sometimes, so it's like you yeah, know, it's a very in the moment thing for me. Well, the, but you'll see other interesting things like you you've never seen so many people walking around with umbrellas before in your life. Bright sunny day, yeah, umbrellas. Huh. Yeah, just I don't know if they were kind of ahead of the curve as far as like, let's not get skin cancer. But um, yeah, you'll see a ton of people walking around with umbrellas, um, smoking, cigarette smoking, just ruthless. I mean, just guys like in a in a first of all, I don't know how somebody squats for 15 hours a day, but smokes on top of it. Like you'll just see guys just sitting out in front of their shops, just everybody smoking, talking and um and I worked for a Chinese restaurant when I was a kid, when I was 14. And um, that was an, a good introduction to a different culture and a different pace of culture. Yeah. Not much in the way of like work humor. <laughs> um, like when I would try to like kind of do things for fun, like the, the jokes just didn't land. Right. Um, but uh, but no, I, I think it's uh, it's a fascinating culture. And I think that... Um, yeah, if if you've never been to Chinatown, I swear to God, here we are where it's in winter. We'll wait till it's nice weather out, yeah. okay? We'll go up there. We'll drive up there. It's the first place that you come to in Chicago, basically. Yeah. From yeah, where, I've where seen, we're at. Yeah, of course. Like, 22nd I've seen the Street. entrance to it yeah. a hundred times. Of course. And then I but instead you, right. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm like, oh, you, going yeah. to a concert. <laughs> right. I'm going to go to Lakeshore Drive. And and not where they have aquariums of uh, of lunch, but what well, we will go there, and and I think you'll love it. Yeah, because my oldest daughter is very into that and has been there several times. She bought a she bought a turtle there that she still owns, like as a pet. Um, and she's probably uh, responsible for opening my eyes to uh, some more of their cuisine. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've never. As an adult, I have never been like, oh, I don't want to go there. Like, if I was a kid and my parents were like, we're going to Chinatown, I'd be like, why? But now I'd be like, let's go. But I've just never been like, I got a free night. Oh, it's wonderful. I think tonight's the night. I'm going to head up to Chinatown. It's wonderful. And what's great about it is that it's like, I mean, as adults, in just what you said right there, as adults, and we think of like an entertaining experience, we we associate that with nightlife. But Chinatown is best experienced during the day. It's it's a day trip. Yeah. And um and oh, you just you know you get there about ten o'clock and and literally it's it's walking into a 
a different world like you didn't think was humanly possible in this modern age. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Oh, f- fuck. Yes, absolutely. We're going <laughs> as soon as the weather hits like steadily, like 50 degrees. Yeah. We're going to China. I will. I will. Because I owe you one because we got a big day today. Not only had we already watched this movie with the commentary track this morning. Now we're recording an episode tonight. We're doing a double feature up in the city. We're going to go see Infinity Pool by Brandon Cronenberg. And then you are going to give it another shot. <laughs> We're going to see They Live, 35 millimeter midnight showing. I'm excited. I'm worried. I'm worried you're still not going to like it because uh, this movie that we're covering, Big Trouble in Little China, famously uh, my wife, who loves every ingredient of this movie. Okay. Uh, at least, you know, n- not as this movie, but if, if I were to describe to her what was in this movie, she'd be like, love all of that. Uh, she watched it for a second time. Still no go. So there's a part of me that's kind of wondering about these John Carpenter films. Because a lot of them, you know, um, I know I got too many tangents going here, but kind of a funny thing. There's this, you know, chat AI program called chat GPT out there now. So I just out of curiosity, I had it write two essays. I can already <laughs> see your body stiffening up. Do you got to go to the bathroom? No, I'm right good. Now? I'm right. good. Yeah. Uh, I, got it, uh, I had to write two essays. Why They Live is a terrific movie <laughs> and why it's a terrible movie. And I mean, as your typical AI would do, it wrote a competent essay. Um, but, you know, it would be like its third point was like the score. The score is haunting and sets the tone. But then in the terrible one, it's like the score is repetitive and annoying. Like, right. So yes. it's like got to write on both ends. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but so I, I, I was kind of wondering, are these John Carpenter movies? Um, because they are kind of. I could see both ends of arguments on a lot of these John Carpenter movies on whether it's good or they're, or they're bad. And after we watched this movie again, uh, last night, uh, Nancy's second viewing, you know, she was like, you know, maybe if I had watched it younger, I I would have liked it. But now as an adult, I don't. And I wonder, you know, would it have been like that way for us with the fog is watching it as, as an adult, there's just something about it that's lost on us with you, with they live watching it for the first time as a 40 year old, instead of just like viewing it through the eyes of, uh, of a kid. Because even this movie itself, I loved this movie as a kid, but I didn't get, I didn't get that Jack Burton was not the hero of this movie as a child, you know? Well, sure. You're just kind of like, Oh, funny things happen to this guy, but it's not until you're older. You're like, Oh, that's supposed to happen, you know. Well, first of all, thank you for calling me a 40-year-old. Second of all, um, (laughs) but no, but I I know what you're saying because – now, did you see this movie in the theater? Uh, No. Okay. No. So we saw it in the theater because we were already just like I've I've alluded to earlier, just obsessed with martial arts. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely obsessed. And so when this movie was marketed – it was they, they featured a lot of the action like they wanted. They, they kind of drove it as a uh, now I haven't seen any of the previews in a long time, but I remember at least when we were kids, all of us, it wasn't like one of us wanted to see it. We all wanted to see it. We all went as a group. There was probably five or six of us and driven by our love of, of martial arts. We loved this movie so much. 
that in the theater, while it's playing, we were calling lines, <laughs> meaning call it like laying ownership. <laughs> like when he says, like, I was born ready, you'd be like, oh, that's mine. That's mine. And then you could be the only You're one the to use ready, that yeah, line. Yeah. yeah, I was born ready. Yeah. And um, so, you know, the, we loved it from from the, absolutely the first moment. So. I see what you're saying that maybe there's a sort of youthful enjoyment of this that maybe uh, evolves into what's a little bit more silliness yeah. at, a, at an older even age. In the commentary that we watched, Kurt Russell and John Carpenter both, you know, are aware at least of I think what we're aware. For some reason, John Carpenter movies come out. Uh, I mean. More in the early stages of his career, I and mean, he hasn't made great movies at the at the unfortunately towards the end. But your '80s and '90s movies, a lot of those they come out. People are like, "What the fuck is this?" And then ten years later, are like, "Oh yeah, right that the masterpiece that he made." <laughs> right. Well, I think part of that is that, and it's it's actually the reason why, um, that he was hired for this movie in particular was because they had to rush production to get it in front of <laughs> Golden Child. Right. Which also bombed, also bombed. Also, like, I'm not 100 percent sure where there was such a connection drawn other than like an Asian person. Well, in the yeah, movie. Chinese mysticism. I mean, that was yeah. enough at the time to just be like, what? Two <laughs> yeah. movies? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was a little too much. Yeah, we're, we're talking in 2023 where all of a sudden the Academy Awards are like, <laughs> yeah, uh, what right. Asian can we celebrate today? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, yeah, we're going into Academy Awards where nearly two of the acting nods are almost locked. Yeah. Let's say Best Supporting Actor. This is all for a movie you've uh, hopefully will never, ever see. Uh, yes. So just ride, you know, come along for, on the ride with me. Sure. But, you know, Kehi Kwan is going, probably going to win. People are going to be pissed if he doesn't win. So, of course, he won't win because that always happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and Michelle Yao has a very good chance. Like she should win. I will be honest. Kate Blanchett, like the best performance of hers I've ever seen. And she's pretty good. And she's good. But at the same time, I don't, you know, she's not doing the range like Michelle Yao is doing in that movie. And it's Kate Blanchett's been nominated fucking nine times or something. And this is Michelle. This Here's a crazy thing I just heard. And the, the, for this Academy Awards, of the 20 acting award nominations, 16 are first-time nominees. Wow. That's crazy. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, uh, that might have to do with the fact that, like, boomers are getting to an age where they're <laughs> like, you know, Jack Nicholson hasn't come out of his house for the last three years. Right. Because the last time he did, he spilled the chili that he brought from home onto the court of the Lakers. Right. Literally, the first time I heard that story, I'm like, that's just too fucking good that he brought his own chili oh, from chili. home yeah. and they had to stop the game because he spilled his chili I'm on the court. Buy food there. It's expensive. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I just imagine him there like with a crock pot under his seat, like. Getting there early, like plugging it in, like gra like unplugging a microphone just to plug his crockpot into the. Uh... Yes. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Stop him? They did. You come in here, and you hear me plugging in my crockpot, or whether you don't hear me plugging in my crockpot, or whatever the fuck you hear me doing. 
let me eat my chili. Um, no, I, I think that, I think that that's really interesting. And I think that that's actually a good sign because I think a lot of people and, and rightfully so malign the Academy for just kind of going, it's kind of taking the sleepy easy route where it's like, this person has been around forever. This person gets nominated all the time. They should win again and again and again and right. again and again. So I think that's really great. I think that that obviously it's it, honest to God. It's probably that we're getting younger people in the Academy that yeah. are, I mean, their eyes are opening a little bit. Maybe. Although there's also a big controversy because there is one best actress nomination. I forget her name, Leslie something mm. or no, she was in a movie called to Leslie, right? Oh, it made $27,000. Like no one saw it, but she got nominated for best actor, uh, best actress. Cause apparently Mary McCormick, who was, she's done, she was in like West Wing. She was Howard Stern's wife in his movie. Yeah, I, I know her. Yeah. But she was a producer on it, or her husband was a producer. And so, like, these emails have leaked where she emailed everyone she knew and was like, please talk about this movie. Hmm. And like, actress, like, famous actresses. And then they would have like viewing parties at their house and like a little question and answer afterwards. So there was like this pushed. Uh, grassroots yeah not to say like that is and so that's kind of the thing the academy's doing is like we're we're there so they have announced they're like we are kind of launching an investigation on the campaigning for this film and not to even say like like it's doubtful they'll be like we're pulling her nomination like but it is also they're kind of doing it to be like oh maybe we need to reassess our rules like they're as most old things do suddenly go, Oh shit. There's like new technology out there and different ways people can use that in order to get around our, our rules and guidelines. But you, you know, know if I'm just emailing my friend about this movie. What's that? Well, what that brings to light is that, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love, I love ceremony and we don't have nearly enough of it in, in our modern culture. And so when there are yearly things like it's, it's, X Games weekend and Aspen this weekend. And I love watching the X Games and I love every time it comes up. And so I love these rituals, these yearly things. And the Academy Awards is no different. But you kind of look at the awards and you wonder to yourself, how just giant of a pile of bullshit is this? Because why in retrospect, why didn't the fucking Shining win like best picture? Right. Why didn't any of these other movies that we've ever seen that, you know, eventually only come to light years later uh, that are completely off the radar of the Academy? And you realize that what's happening is, is that they don't have the the fucking buzz machine behind them, yeah. you know? And, and so we're really sitting here and we're talking about the best of the best when yeah. there's such little representation. I mean, it's like they're. I saw one quote from an unnamed actor, but he was like, he didn't even, you know, watch a lot of the movies that are nominated. He's like, I I watched Top Gun Maverick 13 times. Like, well, but, but that guy's got to vote, you know? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I guess you have to start somewhere and I like guess if you look at all the, sorry to interrupt you, but if yeah, you no. look at all the like best picture winners over the last 10, 15 years, a lot of them, you're going to be like, what movie was that? Yeah. Well, what's fucking War like, Horse? What won last year? Do you remember? No. Yeah. Coda. The what? movie about the deaf parents. I, exactly. You're like, what? Yeah. And especially I, if you go. I didn't even like, hear about that be, movie. The Best Picture Award should be like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. One. That was great. <laughs> that might get buried in the mix. Uh, uh, 
But like, it's almost like they should be like, you're, you pick the best picture of that year 10 years later. Yes. So there should be, um, fucking green book, like green book winning. Even then people are like, this is the worst movie to ever win best picture. And that was an immediate reaction and not even one you can reflect on. What was that movie? Green Book. I don't even uh, fucking know yeah, what that it's is. About, it's about a white guy saving racism, like ending racism. <laughs> it was okay. directed by the director Documentary? of Airplane. Yeah. It was really weird. <laughs> so the thing is, though, is that there should... The problem is, is that the quality of awards show, when you go from the Academy Awards to, let's say... Spike TV like <laughs> drops drastically. Like remember there were those like chainsaw award. It was like the scream awards oh, or whatever. Sure, yeah. So that's really what there should be. There should be separate awards for different genres of movie or different levels yeah. of movie or whatever. Well, and the Academy's still ignoring fucking Mia Goth. Not on. Yeah. I know you haven't seen Pearl yet, but well, maybe soon. Yeah. Maybe soon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Like not even a, a hint and that and but it's like oh this lady from this movie literally no one saw that's why thank god they threw in like everything but you know the kitchen sink into silence of the lambs because well yeah and it's that like, seems to be the thing they're like well every 10 years we're like right like do you know how many horror movies have been nominated for best picture i would imagine that the number is staggeringly six low six jesus ever six ever and so, that's if you count the shape of water it, wow gee well <laughs> Wow. Right. And then that's the thing. So that's why probably like a monster movie, but when, it's not a horror movie. And when they're making Silence of the Lambs, they probably know this. And they're like, look, guys, like if you want a scene where a guy throws jizz on a girl's face, <laughs> like you better work it in now because we only get a few shots at this every so often. But um, but yeah, no, that's uh, hopefully that'll change. I don't know if they can hold back the tide of horror for much longer. Yeah, because it's, it does, it's there building. have been lately, a, you know, Tony Collette in Hereditary, oh, Goth yeah. and Pearl. Yeah, there have been more performances where people are just like, how are you overlooking this? Right. Right. We just need to have Daniel Day-Lewis start doing horror movies. That's true. <laughs> Meryl Streep. Get yeah, right. in there. Right. Um, Put a hockey mask on. What do you think about this timing? Perfect. I go to the bathroom while you do Nan's song. Go for it. Okay. All right. Are you doing, which one are you doing? Well, I'll I'll break it up. We'll see. All right. So, yeah, we'll do the Wikipedia facts, and I got a little little fun thing. Uh, So, this is Big Trouble in Little China from 1986. It was written by Gary Goldman, sorry, and David... Weinstein, uh, and it was adapted, and I forget to write this guy's now name down, WD something. Uh, interesting thing about this script, the original script uh, was changed so much that the actual screenwriter, these guys got the written, written by title, and then another guy gets an adapted screenplay title because uh, they changed the screenplay so much. The Writers Guild said, no, these guys actually need to get credit for their work. So that's who the written by was. Directed by, of course, Johnny Carpenter. It stars Kurt Russell, Dennis Dunn, and Kim Cattrall. Uh, financial, it had a budget of uh, about $25 million, A upsetting box office of $11 million. Fucking awful. But uh, again, one of those things where I'm like, loved this movie so much as a kid. It's You learn, you're like, uh, what? People, this didn't, re- like... They didn't revolve their life around this movie. How is that possible? (laughs) 
Um, so we could do Nan some. I had a I had an idea because we did get a text from uh, another super fan uh, named Brian Brian Chawinski. Uh, oh, he listens. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. And uh, he was like, he was talking about how how uh, amazed you were at just data collection. And he's like, wait till he learns about like AI that's out there. <laughs> so that's how I got on my like, oh, let's have AI write like a uh, essay about they live. So then I was like, what if I could uh, like take another job away from myself? Uh, what if AI wrote the Nansum? <laughs> so I did write a Nansum, but it's not too far off. All I, all I told, you know, I said, hey, write a brief spoiler-free summary of the plot of Big Trouble in Little China. And this is what this AI just immediately spit out at me. Big Trouble in Little China follows the story of Jack Burton, a rough-around-the-edges truck driver who gets caught up in a supernatural battle taking place in San Francisco's Chinatown. Jack's friend Wang Chi's fiance is kidnapped by the powerful sorcerer Lo Pan, who needs a green-eyed woman to complete an ancient ritual that will allow him to be free from his physical form. Jack agrees to help Wang rescue his fiance, and together they journey into the depths of Chinatown, encountering a variety of mystical creatures and powerful allies along the way. As they face off against Lo Pan and his minions, Jack must use his wit, strength, and a bit of luck to help defeat the sorcerer and save Wang's fiance. In Big Trouble in Little China. I can add on the title at the end. But even, even you know, I always end it with like a little, and now they must do this to do that. So good job, ChatGPT. Wow. I might just use that from now on. I don't know, though. Would it have ever called Arnie from Christine a friggin' nerd? No, a friggin' virgin, virgin nerd. Virgin nerd. <laughs> do you want to hear what I wrote? I mean, yes, I do. Right. Absolutely. Here, uh, Jack Burton is a meat delivery driver, and he's just won $2,000 <laughs> off his friend Wang. Unable to pay, Wang says he'll pay him his money from Wang's family restaurant. But first, they must stop by the airport and pick up his childhood sweetheart, Miao Yin, that he has flown in in order to marry. Before they can retrieve Miao, she is intercepted and kidnapped by a gang of street thugs called the Lords of Death. Hot in pursuit, Jack and Wang soon find themselves in the middle of a street gang <laughs> war, and upon their escape, they literally run into Lo Pan, a seven-foot-tall avatar glowing with magic. They retreat to Wang's restaurant, but soon learn of Lo Pan's plan, to sacrifice a green-eyed girl to his demon master in order to break his curse and give him the power to rule beyond the grave. Now Wang and Jack must stop Lo Pan and save Miao Min, Yao Min, Miao Yin, Jesus, before things get worse from the already big trouble in Little China. Well, one thing's for sure. Mine's got a little more personality. Well, and and plus yours had the phrase uh, Jack and Wang. <laughs> oh my <God>. So <laughs> I know where my vote's going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jack and Wang. Yeah, never put that one together. <laughs> yes. I, I recently worked with a guy named uh, Jagmeat. Oh, was his first on. name. His last name. And I'm, I'm, I swear to you, I am not my hand to God. I'm not joking. This man's full name was Jack Meat Butter. B-U-T-T-A-R. Jag Meat Butter was wow. his name. His parents were He went by awesome. Sonny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know where he picked Sonny from, but Jag Meat Butter is, is great. Far from Jag Meat as he could get. <laughs> right. No one will ever accidentally meet. Is that short for Jag Meat? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> wow. So, uh, no, I, you know what? AI, I, I'll, uh, you know, I, I don't do computers, but no. um, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, did it even bring it back around the way that you do at the end? Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's Holy a, shit. now Jack must do this. He didn't put, it didn't put the title in, but yeah. I can start. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll just use that as a base now. 
Yeah, if you like, maybe you're really hungover one yeah. morning and you're like, I just need a little help to get me yeah. going. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, but I love your stuff, though. <laughs> I really do. Um, and uh, super fan Brian Sherwinsky, friend of the show, uh, also the only super fan uh, male that I've ever kissed on the lips. Oh, really? Yeah, we've kissed on the lips before. Uh, but but you're you're are you a super fan though? Oh, true. No, not, yeah, I not actually even, listen to don't the show. Even listen. But yeah, All right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> but no big trouble in little China. So, um, okay. So you didn't see this in the theater, but you saw it at a younger age. Obviously. Yeah. It's okay. like, I don't, you know, I can't remember the first time I saw it. I'm sure it was on video as Kurt Russell points out. I mean, Kurt Russell even said in that commentary, he's like, my career would be shit without video. I don't know if I'd have a career without video. Cause it is interesting. Cause we were looking at his, filmography and it is like to us you know you have escape from new york you have like big trouble in little china where uh and even overboard which again apparently was not that much of a success like was kind of one of those word of mouth things yeah but to me was just one of those omnipresent movies that i saw a hundred times i've never seen it oh really yeah it's great a guy a uh, woman has amnesia, so a guy f- fakes that he, uh, she's his wife, like kidnaps her essentially, yeah, and makes her raise his children. It's hilarious, Tim. <laughs> no, it actually is. If you take away like the glaring problem with that movie, it's a good time. Like that Jody, love, like you know? that Jodie Foster movie where like her husband comes back from the war, but it's not really her husband. Remember that one? No. Yeah, like he like. Like, apparently, a guy has been so changed by war that he might physically look completely different. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) God, what was that? that Somebody's screaming it into their car right now. Um, But anyway, so Kurt Russell, you know, to me, I'm just like, he's one of those guys that's always like, he might have been like the first movie star, like Tom Cruise probably as well. I remember his name a lot when I was a kid. But Kurt Russell, Harrison Ford. Tom Cruise. Like, yeah. these are the names I grew up with. But it, it, shocking to learn, even recently, like, if you had asked me 10 years ago, has Kurt Russell always been a star? I'd be like, of course, from day one, he was a mega star. But nearly every movie he did in the 80s was like, no one gave a shit until later, or you had to be 13. Um, <laughs> because by the time he does backdraft, to me, I'm like, oh, legacy megastar. Yes. Kurt Russell's finally like settling down and doing like just these prestige dramas and because it's him. But no, he's still like, I hope backdraft catches on. Not not literally because that causes damage, but I hope the movie itself catches on. I'd love to keep working. Yeah, and, and but no, you're right. He kind of seemed like he was always famous. That's yeah. that's just what we always gather. In fact, I was at a um a party one time that I think I've talked about on the show before where we were snowed in for for days in Chicago. And to the point where like everybody's just like losing their minds. Uh it was like 3 days we were trapped in a one bedroom apartment, 13 people. Lots of things happening in this party <laughs> and uh everybody just, you know, awake at all hours. And um I remember in that party, Kurt Russell, in our minds, was such a prominent star <laughs> that we had I came up with the idea of what if all movies in the future just starred 
Kurt Russell and that he became like this figure that we, we actually called him Crussell. We just shortened it down <laughs> right. and that Crussell just kind of like runs everything. And I remember like in this manic state of mind, I was even writing poetry <laughs> about it. And just kind of like beat poetry or whatever. One of them was chisel, sizzle, Crussell's love missile will require a bissel to clean up the jizz hole. Ho. Um, <laughs> but I just, it was the point being that um, Kurt Russell is a Hollywood movie star yeah. and has always been that to us. So the fact that we're sitting there and listening to a guy talking about his career hanging in the balance of the popularity of the video market sounds crazy. Right. But, um, but as I rewind back, I'm trying to think back to that time to say to myself, when I went to see this in the theater with my friends, did I recognize Kurt Russell? Yeah, I, I, I did. Yeah. But the way that it's presented to us now is that he was like just coming up. Right. But you felt like as far back as your memory goes that you knew who this actor was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Me too. Um, but yeah. And, and it was, you know, I'm sure it was just because of these two movies that came out of here apart from each other, this and overboard Yeah, that was on heavy HBO rotation and that I saw a lot of, or You'd go and rent it because, you know, be safe. Like, I rented this probably way more than saw it on HBO. Oh, yeah. Um, and because it's incredible. Well, yeah. And it's it's got some pretty interesting beginnings. So now this is uh, Hollywood is Ruthless. And yeah, I couldn't remember the guy who adapted. I, I forgot to write that down. What was his name? Well, the guys, the guys that wrote it, you've got Gary Goldman and you got David Weinstein. But yeah. the guy that actually wrote... Big Trouble in Little China, version. as we know yeah. it, is W.D. Richter. 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 Because so, the original was a Western, Western set in the 1800s, yeah. but in San Francisco. Exactly. And and so as, as you're getting ready to make a movie and you're thinking about the money that goes into it, the hurdles that you have to jump over, it's just a series of problem solving. Like, we all want to make this movie, but we don't want to make it that difficult for ourselves. So when you have a movie that's set in the turn of the century and you have, you know, two different cultures represented automatically, you've got a lot of costume work. You've got, um, is the dialogue right? Are the accents right? Is the setting right? Like you can't, you don't have to worry about, are we going to have a, like an alarm clock in this scene because it's the 1800s and (laughs) Oh shit, somebody left an alarm clock on the set. So, That was the first thing. What happened when I say Hollywood is ruthless, sometimes what happens is, is that executives will see potential in a script. They'll know that it's a bad script. They'll know that it has problems, but they want the idea. Yeah. So they'll buy the script for the idea with no intention of keeping the original writers. And that's exactly what happened here. So they bought it because they, they felt that there was something there, but um, just pretty much quickly, like excuse those writers Brought on Richter, who was a friend of Carpenter's from USC, and so he was tasked with modernizing it. So here's Richter kind of mathematically saying, here's the original script that I'm supposed to adapt, and it's got all of these challenges to make a modern film. I'm going to erase all of that and only require the audience to make one jump, and that is from modern day, where they already feel comfortable, to this 
an unknown Chinese underworld. Yeah. And that's the only jump we're going to make. We're not going to make it a period piece. We're not going to have, you know, we're going to not make it difficult for the audience to connect with this film. Yeah. By modernizing it, which is obviously the best choice. I mean, it would have been a different kind of movie, but it wouldn't have been as good. I, I think that it's the modernization coupled this movie is all about um you know the contrast between two seemingly different or opposite things you've got east meets west yeah you've got old meets new um and then you've got people kind of struggling in the middle of that uh to sort of bring the bridge the two together so i think that that was the the absolute best choice and um there's there's elements of wuxia film in this. So wuxia is a, a category of martial arts films that has to do with sort of um, kind of putting a showcase on Chinese history. Uh-huh. Um, because the funny thing is, is that the emperor that they mention, who is the one that gave Lopan his curse, yeah. uh, which is Qin Shi Huang, it was a, the real emperor. In fact, if you did you ever go to the museum when they had all those terracotta soldiers? Oh, no. Yeah. So he was the one that had those, that made oh, okay. those. Oh, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, so Terracotta army, I believe. The, yes, called. absolutely. And so, but it also would have fantasy elements like um, like chi power and, um, you know, magical powers and flying and that sort of thing. Yeah. So basically what you've got here is somebody comes up with an idea for an East meets West Western. And then John Carpenter is brought on board and likes it just because he loves martial arts films. Yeah. Old Kung Fu movies. And so, uh, but then this modernization kind of brings it all into focus. And, um, and you know, but what's funny is, is that the sort of writers guild was really obviously it's their job to sort of champion the original writers of screenplays. So they forced the writer's credit to go to these two guys that just came up with the idea. Carpenter wasn't really happy about that. It was his buddy that really wrote the movie that we see, but all he gets is an adaptation credit. Yeah. But I mean, that's fine. Yeah. We end up with the script that we get and that's uh, a huge part of what this, what makes this movie such a success, but never has there been a better marriage of a really fun script with a set of actors that just amplifies it beyond anybody's expectation. Yeah. And that seemed to understand the, because I I mentioned it earlier, not something you really get as a kid where you're like, Oh, Jack Burton is not the hero of this story. Right. And it was even something, as I've been watching it as an adult, I'm like, am I wrong on that take? So it was nice to hear on the commentary how funny they thought it was that people don't get that Jack Burton is not the hero. I'm yeah. like, okay, thank God. Thank You're God. Right. I It was not just some like hot take th- that's like permeated through, you know, through the zeitgeist. Well, I think that, I think that, and, and I wouldn't sell yourself too short because I think that Whereas we as younger people might not have gotten specifically that point that Jack Burton is this like reluctant hero who doesn't he's really more of the sidekick, but that he's propped up as the hero. But it's funny because he's bumbling. Yeah, I I think that probably in our own way, we got it. But the way that we got it was just to recognize that this movie is a comedy. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, it's it's like 
you know, during a fight scene that Jack loses his knife and goes off to retrieve his knife. And at the end of the fight, it's over and he jumps around the corner like, ha, like ready yeah. to go. As a kid, you're just like, ha ha, that's, that's funny. funny. And it uh, should be. But you don't realize it's like, oh, the, because he's missed the entire fight. And in a conventional film, he would have cleared the room. Right. Uh, but his sidekick, who is the actual hero, of, you know, those things just don't. You're not supposed to think about but how that great shit of a when you're movie. 12 years old. You know? But how great of a movie is it, though, that it still lands? Like right. it, well, it, and that's the crazy thing about this movie. about Because as an, I think the first time I watched this as an adult, you kind of go into it a little wary, like, how well is this aged? Because there are yeah. plenty of movies that were made in the 80s sure. that have not aged well at all. Or can still be enjoyable, but just generations are not going to. They don't have the nostalgia attached to them, so they're not going to enjoy them like we do. They're going to view them through their lenses and their experiences. But if you watch this movie, holy shit, it's aged even better. It was so ahead of its time. Of here, we are going to parody the you know the white savior in these you know ethnic movies of the you know they have their issues. The only guy who can solve them is the white hero that comes in. Instead, we're he's, we're going to show, but they don't do it. They don't show Jack Burton as he's not like bumbling, if you know what I mean. Right. Like he's still very confident. Like he thinks he is that trope. Yeah. Um. But he never realizes he's not. Right. Um. But he's never like. Like, he's just kind of dumb, but he's not, like, stupid. Well, sure. Jack Burton, if this movie There's is a... fine a, line between those two. Well, no, but you're right. If if we make a movie about a bar fight, Jack Burton is our hero. The, the hero the way that you want him to be. Right. The way that Hollywood wants him to be. It, you know, if he's just in a dive bar, like, he's going to not only be the Jack Burton, the confident, like, you know, tough guy that, that we love... It's just that we've taken that confident, tough guy that we love who would be the king of a bar fight and stuck him in Chinatown. Right. Where he is outside of the culture, outside of the understanding, outside of the the martial arts discipline and focus and training and all that stuff. So we basically said, like, you're great over here and you would be a hero over here, but you're not there. Right. You're here. Right. And that's the whole the whole genius of the the movie itself is this constant juxtaposition of East meets West, and it celebrates it in a really cool way. What I like what this movie does that I don't think it would do now is that we have a tendency in today's society to overcorrect. So if this movie was made now, it would be made in in a way, in my mind, it would be made in a way that's like, let's showcase Asian culture and let's do nothing but lampoon Western or Caucasian culture and make that out to be the silly sort of worthless thing and prop up this other culture that we, uh, we, we don't know enough about. We don't respect enough about yeah. this movie actually goes out of its way to maintain a balance, um, which is, kind of an Asian philosophy in and of itself, uh, maintain a balance between, you know, there being this understanding or like an attempt to understand or to have these, these Caucasians or non-Asian people understand what's happening, have it explained to them, but also have these Asian characters be very patriotic. 
Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's a, there's scenes that are very specifically patriotic for Western culture as well. So it's, it's not about one being better than the other. It's about there being, uh, uh, recognizing a difference yeah. and then trying to find a balance. Yeah. And I think that that's really cool. I, yeah. I like that part of it. Um, but what's cool about this movie is that I feel like it satisfies while it's touching on a lot of different things, it's satisfying all those categories. Yeah. Like if you're a martial arts fan and you want to see a martial arts movie, you're going to see some badass fighting. Yeah. Cool ass choreography. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you want to see, you know, action, there's still plenty of gunplay. If you want to see this sort of, you know, from what you and I learned from watching that commentary, obviously Kurt Russell and John Carpenter are huge fans of just a good story. Yeah. That's probably the best part of this movie is if you go into it, like I'm going into a, a fantasy story world, yeah, you know, and just letting it unfold. I understand. It does get nuttier as it goes along. Sure. I mean, it's crazy enough at the beginning because you have just like a street gang fight and you're like, okay, um, street gang fight. Fine. Then all of a sudden these three guys come in from the, the, the sky who are your more, you know, these are guys now that just seem like prevalent in like fucking every anime I see or, or something like that. The, you know, these embodiments of the storms, essentially these three guys, uh, never seen anything like that when I was a kid. Right. Uh, what a cool concept. And those three guys are so fucking bad ass. Yeah. Uh, through the whole movie, uh, you know, and you get your low pan. And you're like, okay, kind of weird. And then as the movie goes on, now we've got like this big ape creature and this fucking head made of eyeballs. And you're just like, what the, f-? and that big bug that comes out of the wall, eats a guy never thought of again. Right. No, <laughs> just, and, and to, to the, uh, and I don't expect anybody and I don't want to, I'm certainly not going to be a snob about it because there's people that have seen a lot more than I have, but the one thing that that John Carpenter went out of his his way to say is that these this isn't all new. Like there are some crazy bonkers ass '60s and '70s martial arts movies that are bringing in all of this magic and you know creatures and and craziness. I mean, some of that if you look at anything made by the Shaw Brothers, like. This was a lot of the stuff that you would see on Kung Fu theater, but there would be stuff even more hardcore than that. And not only crazy from a mystical standpoint, but bloody as fuck. Oh, yeah. The fakest blood you've ever seen in the world. But I mean, really violent, really, really just spectacular. So that when something like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon comes along and people are like, oh, my God, this is revolutionary. Absolutely not. It's been going on for decades before that right um but it was just new to to yeah, western eyes given to you in, a, in an accessible package right but the thing is i think that I, you you asked me a, an, an extremely important question that i think gets to the heart of where somebody might get off on the wrong path with this movie and it was we were talking earlier and you asked me about uh uh kim cattrall's performance yeah and it's stylized. Yeah. So what do you. Because th- I like her in this movie. Yeah. We want, I watched this last night with my wife and our friend Ruth. They both. Ruth loves this movie. But both were like, oh, she's terrible in this movie. I'm like, uh, no, I love her in this movie. Because she's. Because 
Like they are kind of doing this weird 40s, uh, which, you know, the 30s and 40s, I would say, and I could just be making this up in my mind, but that feels like that's when you're starting to get kind of uh, these exploitive Asian tropes kind of coming in through Hollywood. A lot of the mysticism and the Far East and mysterious and things like that. So our white characters almost embody these 40s individuals where, uh, uh, you know, Kurt Russell's doing John Wayne. He's just flat out doing John Wayne in this movie. Oh, absolutely. And she is, you know, and even and also our reporter. So we've got, you know, our truck driver, lawyer and a reporter. Those are like the three white characters in this. And they are all do this like kind of fast talking, you know, what feels like a 40s yeah. cadence. It was that sort of like... We're not doing this. Yeah, it's but it's a little bit of that, like, you know, transatlantic, like, uh, like sir, if you're just going to ask me up to your apartment, then you've got something to learn. Yeah. Because if I'm going to be asked up to your apartment, then I better be met with romance <laughs> and a little bit of swooning because a woman that has come as far as I have isn't just going to walk up to your apartment without... So it's that sort of like wow. matter of fact... Like kind of Catherine Hepburn, um, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Betty Davis. Yeah, that sort of like sassy. Yeah, it's it's sassy and it's matter of fact. Yeah, and um, but a and, little more feminine. Yeah, she's a little more feminine. Than this. Yeah, but um, but yeah, just the it's me, Gracie Law. Like right. I'm like, yeah, that embodies like what that character is about. Almost, you know what she's, now that you just said that, it almost, uh, she's almost doing it more like a radio play. Uh, like yeah. it has that sort of like, you can't see me. Yes. So I just have to like over project everything with my voice and my intention and all that thing. That's a great way to describe it. Yes. So absolutely. she's, she's got that flair about her, which I think is just. She also looks so beautiful. She her really eyebrows does. Rocking it. Yeah, rocking she, those eyebrows. And not anybody that I, I think most people are going to pick out as some sort of like overly like hot, like in a sexy way. Yeah. But she just looks real nice in this movie. Until Sex in the City. I mean, then it was like, oh, all right. <laughs> like I thought you were hot before, but Jesus Christ! Yeah, I woman. never, I never really watched that. Show. Oh, really? Yeah, Jesus, Tim, it has sex in the title. Yeah, I know. I'm right. I, I don't know how. Well, I mean, maybe it was. You just... were like, I don't want to watch a show about women <laughs> fucking all the time. <laughs> Lame. Uh, is that what, is that what it's about? <laughs> yeah, essentially. Okay, yeah. okay, I'll check it out. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> you would love Kim Cattrall in Sex in the City, and she and she does look great in this. However, both she and her green eyed counterpart both have brown eyes, um, but they wore these beautiful green contacts for this movie. And the other counterpart, the uh, Asian counterpart, Miao Yin, um, played by her name is uh, it's a cute name. I think it's Susie Pie. Oh, is it really? Yeah. You know what? Susie Pai, if I'm not mistaken. And she's French and, and uh, Chinese, very beautiful in her own right, um, and didn't really do a whole lot. She popped up in a few other movies, was a penthouse uh, a pet of the month. Um, is really oh, Yeah, Susie Pai, S-U-Z-E-E-P-A-I. Yeah. It's cute. Susie Pack. Um, but, you know, she's she's not given a whole lot to do in this film. She's probably cast mainly for her beauty. Yes. But um, but I mean, does not a fine given job. a lot to do. What does she do? Uh, well, uh, not much, not really much. No. At all. But there is. A supporting cast that does a motherfuck ton. Oh, yeah. 
who do you like best in that supporting cast? Oh, um, James Hong as Lopan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who also is in uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, a movie you should never see. Uh, which <laughs> I think in, he he's just in everything, this by year, the way. Right? What's that? Didn't he just pass away this year? Or am I? It was recent. Yeah. But it was re- no. It would have been very recent because he just he got was in a movie that came out this year, <laughs> right? And he just got his uh, uh, Hollywood uh, star on the uh, Walk of Fame. Oh, really? Like in the last year? Um, and the guy has like six hundred and fifty credits. Like he's one of the most prolific actors in Hollywood of all time. Uh yeah no he's still alive okay I oh, was really wrong. I mean he's my God look he looks like he should be dead he looks almost worse now than he looks in <laughs> this movie with the makeup on. no not really yeah um but no yeah he's oh, guys I mean and the guy who plays Egg um Victor Wong Victor Wong Victor yeah. Wong's great Victor Wong interesting guy um kind of a tragic story there he uh his. His this movie has kind of an interesting well, it's got several interesting problems as far as like a from a studio standpoint. One of their biggest concerns was that, like we've been talking about, Jack Burton isn't heroic enough. Yeah. So they actually made John Carpenter go back and shoot a uh, sort of intro scene that would kind of laud Jack Burton a little bit, make him some sort of a more heroic character. Right. So they bring Victor Wong back to shoot this scene. And um, while he was gone, his son was walking home in Sacramento and was uh, attacked and killed. No. And then it was well, actually, I'm, I apologize. It wasn't during the shooting of the scene. It was that his son walked home um, one night was attacked and killed. And then from the wake, his son's wake, he had to go and shoot this scene. Oh, he shoots the scene immediately uh, when they get done. He has a stroke oh. and, and later in life in, uh, in, um, he died in on nine tw- September twelfth, two thousand one, because his other sons were in New York City. Oh my! God. And he had two sons living in New York City, and he and his wife were in L.A. And they heard about what happened on September eleventh, and they were just watching the TV, just to you know they they couldn't get a hold of their sons. They didn't know if they were alive or dead. And his wife ended up going to bed, and he stayed awake just to like try and see if if he could get any news about his sons and he had a heart attack oh and died. my god yeah it's <laughs> i don't mean to bring that's this is this awful. is supposed to be a fun episode no but that's but, incredible but the, the, the guy is obviously a very impassioned family man on top of being like a hilarious and awesome part of this film and that's really what's great in in some ways he might even have, I don't want to say the most difficult part in this movie, but he has to play the straight man, but he has to play the straight man who's very uh, eccentric. Yeah. Uh, and if you think about this, I'm going to run to the bathroom real quick, but let oh, me lay yeah. this on you. He is Victor Wong as Egg Shen. Yeah. Is the Dr. Loomis of Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I guess so. Because, yeah, this is his, you know, this is what his life revolves around is stopping low pan. Uh, Because at the end of the movie, even he's about to leave and Jack's like, what are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know. Like, my job here is done. 
again, he's all he's the hero of a different version of this story. Because, uh, you know, like Jack Burton is our third hero, I guess, even though he does nothing heroic. Uh, he does have his moments, though. Um, but yeah, that's interesting how he would be the Dr. Loomis. He is a bit more put together than Dr. Loomis, I would say. He seems far more patient. Um, yeah, Tim's still not back yet, but yeah, he's Dr. Loomis. How are you guys doing? Oh, Tim's back. Okay, great. <laughs> we also uh, have, but yeah, he is. He's, uh, this is what drives him. Well, yeah. And you know, the way that he this talks, drives him, he drives the bus, <laughs> right. the bus drives away from this. It's all circle. <laughs> yeah. But he talks about Lopan the way that Loomis talks about Michael Myers. Yeah. Like, um, he's the expert. He's the resident expert on everything. Yeah. Um, but we also and there's that part they're going to Lopan's business and Egg standing on the side and he's like, You get away from that door. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? what Lonnie? Get your ass away from there. Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, uh yeah, I I I uh, kept myself from saying Ronnie. But um anyhow <laughs> no cut that out. But um <laughs> There's another great actor in this called named Dennis Dunn. And we've talked about Dennis Dunn before because we've covered Prince of Darkness. Right. And now, uh, to the best of my knowledge, Dennis Dunn hasn't really done a whole heck of a <laughs> lot else. Seemed to be done after that. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. We I'm going to do this. Uh, you know, he's happy now. I'm going to do this movie, Dennis Dunn. Uh, uh, it's Dennis Dunn after that. But um, yeah. So I would have thought we did a whole, we're doing a movie with all these Asian undertones and our most racist things are our black voices. You know, yeah. It's. It's that nuance and language that Dave Chappelle keeps talking about that he doesn't want to lose. So is this nuance? Because this is a movie where, man, like growing up, the number of times I've said Mr. Burton, like in my life, yeah, Miss, that's yeah. not meant to be racist. It's just how he says that right phrase. But I, I, I implemented though that inflection into a lot of things I say, even even to the point of I will say the line. From Raiders of the Lost Ark, like in my head a lot, where he's where uh, Toth, I think his name is, the, yeah. the little glass guy, where he's like, "We are not thirsty." I will say that in like low pants voice. I'll be like, "We are not thirsty, Mister Button." <laughs> like I do that all the time, but it's but, not, but it's have born it, but, of some sort of racism. Of course, it's not. You know why? And I'm going to tell you why it's not because I'm sure that you've probably also done an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation exactly. before. Yeah. So what's the difference? My Lopan plays a really interesting part in my relationship with my daughters. Number one, he was, I used to, when they were very little, I would, God, for probably the first six years of their life, I would make up a different story for them every single night, every single night, make up a new story. And Lopan oftentimes was the bad guy in our story. Nice. The stories often ended with like Lopan running away and then his pants falling down and they always <laughs> laughed at that part and that, whatever. But, um, but also there was a night where one of my daughters and I, I had a sock, I was doing laundry and I just did the, uh, I was just holding the sock and I just go nice knife. 
Goodbye, Mr. Burton. And then threw the sock at her. And then she would say it back to me. And we were just whipping the sock That's back and awesome. forth for probably 30 minutes. Um, but yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, people, for God's sake, we've got our lead doing a John Wayne impersonation and sounding like him. So I think I think we're all safe. But Dennis Dunn does do a great job. Now, he had they didn't talk about this in the documentary, but or in the commentary, but he had a little bit of dabbling in martial arts when he was younger. He was also involved in the Japanese, or I'm sorry, Chinese opera. So a guy that is familiar with movement. Yeah. So while obviously there were stunt actors for some of the more difficult stuff, uh, a guy that understands the fluidity and the the motions of, of martial arts and, and sells the shit out of it. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I've never seen so much action with stunt people that went completely unrecognized by me. Oh, yeah. Almost to the point of feeling like a fool when we're watching that commentary and I'm seeing scenes that I would have sworn to you were Kurt Russell. And he's like, that's not me. And you're like, what? <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The part where he's on the yes. he's traversing on that pipe. Yeah. Kurt I Russell's mean, like, oh, that's not me. You're like, what? Why? Yeah. How? Meanwhile, it's Dick Warlock. Dick Warlock, the hardest working guy in showbiz. God damn. Um, but yeah, so we've got we've got him. Um, we mentioned Victor uh, Wong is as Egg Shen. Um, there are some other characters in this movie that I I don't know if you need them. There is a reporter. Yeah. She plays the part of uh, Margot uh, Litzenberger. She yeah. has a, a last name, by the way. Um, and I don't I don't know a hundred percent what she adds to it. It's just another female role, which is yeah, is fine. Um, and it's another maybe it's balancing out the perspective of people that are familiar with this culture and those that aren't. Yeah. So she's like part of Gracie Law's story. Right. Uh, who, you know, has a history with the Lopan organization and things like that, or has been trying to expose Lopan. Right. So it is that like, because, yeah, we're viewing it through the eyes of Jack Burton. And, yeah, it's easy to be like, who the fuck's this person? It's like, well, if you had actually been here ever, yeah. you would have known this person's actually pretty evolved. Yes. But, yes, to us. And, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, this story in this movie, probably you're not losing much if she's gone. No. And we do get we do get a really nice. Now, I don't know exactly how much of it is true. Chinese um, philosophy or mysticism or as they, they term it in this movie, sorcery. But it all sounds cool. When when you get Uncle Chu with Egg Shen together and they're sort of like doing an almost like fortune telling yeah. style of, of like talking about what forces, what sort of supernatural forces are at play. Yeah. It's really, really cool. And so I think what this movie does a good job of is having the balls to take the time and immerse us in in Asian culture and and scenes that are largely driven by Asian actors. And that was something Dennis Dunn said that he loved so much about the movie was that I'm finally getting to to do and see other Asian actors get bits and parts and 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 moments that we don't normally have. And he's got um some really, really nice moments. This is the, I mean, it should be no shock to anybody that knows me, but my favorite parts of this movie are, aren't even necessarily even the action or the comedy or whatever, but every now and then this movie will slow down to, to be not necessarily 
sad or morose or anything like that, but uh, a little bit more serious. Yeah. And there's a really great scene where Jack and Wang are trapped in an elevator and Jack has, is kind of reached the end of his rope and he needs to know what's going on. And Wang like just kind of explains to him in the way that only somebody who was a modern Asian person who grew up with these superstitions, but has the, the sort of um, awareness of a modern person and is trying to bridge the gap between the two could, could say. Right. So he does a good job of saying like, Hey, this is, this is stuff that we were taught as kids and we never believed it, but we kind of secretly did, but are we, we, we kind of pretended that it wasn't true. You hope it doesn't interfere Right. With you. Which I thought was really cool because it's like rather than trying to ram something down our throat, like I like I'm a writer in Hollywood. I came up with this mythology and I'm going to force you to believe it and I'm going to force my characters to believe it regardless of its implausibility. You have this guy who's kind of stuck in between the two. Yeah. And he's like. Yeah, it's real, but I know that it's weird. I get that it's weird. Right. So that's what makes he and Jack so good together. Yeah. And the fact that Jack, I'm glad that you made the point earlier about the fact that while Jack is bumbling, he's not like completely incompetent. No. And he's also not without like honor, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's, yes, he wants to get his money and yes, he wants to get his truck, but at at an at one point, obviously, he makes the decision to do something because it's the right thing to do. Right. Which is cool. Well, even, yeah. Because, yeah, I, I, I was kind of watching this movie with a different vision, like looking for the parts where he doesn't either do the right thing or maybe help. And those parts are very obvious. But there are parts where he, you know, kind of helps. Um not as much as your conventional hero would like, like the part with the knife where the, 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 this big guard with the big swords coming at him with a knife and he's struggling to get it out of his boot. And instead he just decides to shove it forward, which is smart. Yes. A smart move stops the guy. But then in typical Jack Burton fashion, (laughs) this huge guy is now on top of him and he can't get him off. Right. To help. And this has happened immediately after at the beginning of the fight, He's knocked himself out by shooting the ceiling, which then crumbles and (laughs) knocks him unconscious. He's kind of like a reverse Mr. Bean. Like, he does smart things and it ends up bad. Like, Mr. Bean does dumb things, but it ends up being, like, the right thing to do. Right. Um, But, yeah, no, he's... Even, like, at the beginning of the airport, like, he's helping Wang get his girl back. He has the presence of mind, be like, which way they go, call the cops, like... He's not totally following like he's doing some of the right things. And by the way, he's been up all night drinking. <laughs> right. That's he has the not slept thing about this movie. That <laughs> <laughs> really never play on, but yeah, they have been up all night. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, um we mentioned we we touched on this a little bit. Um I started when I when I started thinking about this movie and researching it, I started thinking about critics. And I started thinking that the more that I think about it, while there are a few that I like, um, I think critics are absolute fucking idiots. The more that I think about it, because look, you have people judging this movie, right? Number one, what is, what are your credentials? Like, have you, have you acted on stage before? Have you acted in film before? Yeah. Did you just, are you just an English major? 
and you like watching movies because you know you well, a lot of them go to like learn about film and but how much though and 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 even if they do sure have they put even as much research into their movie reviews as you and I do in this show to get an understanding about the the concepts that we're discussing oh that's true probably Fuck no not. well no yeah they just go to a screening and are taking notes while they're watching it and right and they're just flopping their opinion out there without any it's it's the same way that while I appreciated from a filmmaking standpoint a lot of aspects of hereditary it was only after I researched it that I'm like, oh, I get what he was. Now I understand what he's going for. And this movie is fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, so I think that this is just a classic example of critics can say whatever they want, but people love this movie. I mean, apparently there are a couple out there that don't. But anybody that I know, when I you put this movie out there, they're like, oh, fuck, yeah. Yeah. No, listen, my wife's the first person I've met who does not like this movie. <laughs> and I only showed it to her because she's like, I've never seen that. I'm like, oh, my God, get ready. Get ready to watch your new favorite movie because it has everything in it you love. Yes. And I mean, yeah, the the, the one line is like, I'm sorry. I love when a white man saves the day. <laughs> she's, you know, we're, we're working on it. But. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is I mean, let's just get it out there. If you're going to do white savior, this is the way to do yeah, it. Yeah, this is the way to do it. <laughs> right. And it's like, it's, it, and knowing it and looking at, at it through that lens, it is funny how much it sticks out now. Like, how many times Jack Burton is like, what is going on? Where are we? Who is that? Right. Why is that? You know, you're an outsider. And I look, you know, even. I'm I'm pretty sure James Gunn had to have taken this part for Guardians of the Galaxy where Star-Lord's introduced and he's like I'm Star-Lord and he's like who? Because yeah, he shows up at the end with the showdown with Thunder and he's like, "You know what Jack Burton always says?" and he's like, "Who? Who are, who is Jack Burton?" Like yeah, right. That's the like you should not be here, man. Yes. And the only the only I mean he does kill Lopan, which does feel like a little like, all right, here you go. But at the same time, and I think they were kind of talking about it at the commentary, and I think that's what they were alluding to, because at the beginning of the movie, where you know um, uh, Wang's lost this money to him, but he needs the money because he's bringing this girl home, and so he makes this double or nothing bet with Jack about cutting this bottle in half, and it like flies across the table, and Jack catches it by its fa- by his head to where then now at the end. So we've kind of established whatever, however loose a trait that is. Maybe Jack's really good at catching things by his face to where his first throw of the knife to Lopan obliterated, like horribly misses. Right. Great roll of the eyes by every, everyone involved. Oh yeah. (laughs) Even Even Jack himself. Jack's just like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Right. And then, yeah, Lopan picks up the nice knife. Goodbye, Mr. Burton. And yeah. then throws it. And, oh, here's my opportunity now to do that thing I do where I catch something by my face and just instinctually throws it back and gets him on the second turn. So Almost he, as if there should be like a line that he would say there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, yeah, he, he only wins. It takes him two attempts. And it's like some weird thing that we've kind of established that, that he's the only like one of the only things he's good at. Right. Yeah. He's just, I, I think, yeah, I, it, it's funny to hear you like spell it out like that because 
For most people, they just know the line, uh, it's all on the reflexes. (laughs) But maybe that line sort of sums up his character, which is, I might not do the right thing every time, but I'm, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I don't know. See, I still think there, I don't think he is ever aware that he's not the hero. Well, no, you're right. Yeah. To where that he's like, of course I did that. So, right. you know, it's all this bravado. Right. No, yes, yeah. maybe deep down he's maybe insecure or something, but the person we see in this movie. Oh yeah. He's sure. Like, yeah, no, I know I'm that. with you on that. And yeah. And I, I didn't mean it any other way. You're absolutely right. He, he buys it hook, line and sinker. And that's what gives us the performance that we get from Kurt Russell, which is first of all, I don't know if I've ever seen a performance and I don't mean this as a hot take. I'm, I mean, it dead serious. I don't know that I've if I've ever seen a performance where somebody has taken the dialogue put in front of them and elevated it to the level because of their ability as much as this movie. Yeah. And Kurt Russell in this movie. I mean, it's every single line that he says, not just the 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 catchphrases and the joke lines like even um, like even when they're doing that bottle scene. And he does, you know, in there, you know, he just does the like, come on, Wang. Like, I mean, when he's just he's he's so stylized, how the fact how the fuck he is so stylized, but still giving a realistic performance at the same time. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's a mastercraft. I mean, it, it's just fantastic what he does. And um, so, yeah, that this is. I think a lot of it has to do with charisma. And he was talking earlier. Now, this is where, you know, I kind of slung my head low um, when he's talking about how well you should know your lines. <laughs> and, hey, we we in the theater, we joke about it like, you know, somebody when, you know, if we take questions from the audience and somebody's going to say, how'd you memorize all them lines that it's like the we used to have an actor that um are we yeah, we used to have an actor at the theater that would say that that was like the lowest, most common form of compliment that you could get. Yeah, I think that's fucking bullshit. I think I've even said oh. that before on this show. I think that's bullshit because, number one, it isn't easy to memorize lines. No. And it also isn't easy to take a written line as good as it may be. Now, there are some authors that like Martin McDonough that make it pretty hard for you to fuck it up. Yeah. But but. It's what you put into it. You know, you have to memorize it and you have to memorize it to a level that you own it and make it your own. And that's it's something that Robert Downey speaks to. He's like people ask him about acting tips all the time. And he that that's the first thing he says. Literally know your lines literally backwards and forwards. Yeah. Like it, no matter where you are in the script, it sounds like such a fundamental thing. But my point is, is that. Kurt Russell at any given point in this movie is comfortable as an actor. Yeah. He's comfortable in every single scene, even though we learned that he had a 104 degree temperature in one scene that we love him in, by the way, (laughs) and gives one of his best lines in. um, He is just so settled into this performance that it, it, you can't help but be charmed by him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the call the president part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A line I did, I was going to do the write up for this. I when we were in the kitchen. I'm like, I'm going to do go do the write up for the episode today. If I'm not back in 15 minutes, call the president. And Nancy just goes, that's not a good line. 
Like, get the fuck out of yeah, here. Yeah, it is. God damn it. And he delivered it with a near, like, brain-boiling temperature. Oh, so, yeah. And, yeah, just call the president. Like, <laughs> like the president would give a shit. Yeah, right. No real, like, you know, further description on which president of what. But, I mean, yeah, just call a president. Um, but, uh no, we 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 get a lot of cool stuff here. You, t- you you said a little while ago about whether this movie holds up or not. There is there are a lot of practical effects in this movie. Oh yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that every single practical effect in this movie is perfect. No, it's the mid '80s. Yeah. So, you know, those like blow up animals that they have like the rubber band on and you go with the like bong, 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 yeah. bong. Yeah. Okay. So um, there are some things that look like that, that look like <laughs> molded rubber. Um, but I think that, I don't know, to me, there's like a, a metaphorical ticket that you buy when you watch this movie. And when you buy that ticket, you just take the ride and it's kind of beyond judgment at that point. Yeah. Um, not to say that you're making excuses for like a lesser product, but I don't think, I think the movie is always trying. Yeah. And I don't, I, and some of it is a little bit limited if, by if its time. want to wrap this into a little horror, like those, a lot of those practical effects are where the horror elements yeah. of this movie come in with the monkey thing, which, oh yeah, by the way, did you know that there, because the end of this movie is, it feels open-ended, right? Because Jack's yeah. driving away and the monkey monster is in, uh, on his truck. And that's that's how it ends. Uh, did you know that then John Carpenter wrote a couple comic book series set in this universe? No. Okay, awesome. I, I've ordered the... I was I was driving around listening to another podcast that, that had covered this movie. And someone mentioned it while I was driving as I'm driving by the comic shop. And it yes. was like a... <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. hard turn in. I'm like, holy shit. I wonder if they have any of these. Because they did one that's set, like, immediately after. And then another one called Old Man Jack, which is, like, current-aged Kurt Russell if if Jack Burton were, were put into this. Um, now, it was also through listening to that and one of the guys talk about this where uh, it also alleviated my fears of, you know, am I right in that Jack Burton's not the hero of this story? Because in in the comic book series, there are different different hells, right? And the the hell that Lo Pan goes to is the hell for people killed by idiots. <laughs> so I was That's like, great. okay, they because John Carpenter wrote the comic as well. Yeah, with um, fuck, I forget this guy's name, Ed something. He wrote uh, the Goon, which was like another kind of like gra- cool graphic novel from back in the day um, that I did not read, but remember seeing. Um, so yeah, they're, that kind of bit, but they uh, have a name for the monkey thing and it's a young Y. So it's like Mogwai, oh. but it's like a young Y. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's a, a little tidbit for you there. So yeah, the, the, no, yeah. I like that. I like that. And but I, I've I, ordered the, there are six volumes of the not old Jack of like the post and those are coming periodically over like the next month and a half <laughs> to my house. So I'm in all out of order. So I'm excited to finally get those. Speaking of old, I have a note here um, that uh, I, it was a scene with Low Pan, and I said, "Oh, look, it's John Carpenter in a wheelchair." <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> 
just wow that didn't even like register but that is if you say a picture of john carpenter now he a hundred percent looks like low pan's old man self holy shit yeah. sorry john carpenter. yeah no god i just if anything if this just gets him to listen to the show it's worth it um yeah so there is there is that um oh one thing i wanted to ask you because we talk about this all the time did you watch this with subtitles I didn't. I did not. I'm going to get that out of the way. I feel like I did. Yeah. What, what I was wondering they was dead on. Okay. So did does it translate the Chinese when they speak Chinese? No. No. It, okay. No. God. I wish that. I wish that it, it just did. Does the speaking Chinese? Speaking Chinese. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. What was the other movie that we covered where it just said speaking Chinese? Oh, wasn't it? Um. Oh, the uh, the zombie one with uh, Robert Rodriguez one. Um. Oh, Planet Terror. Yeah. Wasn't there something where it was like. Something about Chinese in there where the guy that goes like and attacks with the the saw or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But um, yeah, which is like really downplaying what's happening in that scene (laughs) if it's just speaking Chinese or (laughs) drilling somebody in half. But um, but no, I think that that's cool that he that he did expand the universe there. There's been we'd be remiss to not mention that there's been a lot of talk about uh, the rock Dwayne Dwayne the Rock Johnson. This is also I wanted to talk about. Wanted has wanted to right, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. He's old. He's older than us, but not by too much. Okay. Yeah. The Rock. Okay. So I get it that he probably loves this. I'm sure he loves this movie as much as we do. Yeah. I'm sure that he is probably aware that this movie, while it does have a what I would consider a large cult following, yeah, almost even breaching the cult status. Um, but that he probably still sees it as not something that's revered as a lot of other action movies or comedies or action right. comedies. So I get, I, I believe in the purity of his intention, but yeah. Cause they've said they are not, it's not going to be a remake. It will be more of a sequel. So, because listen, the rock could never, I couldn't say, I shouldn't say could never will never play yeah. a character like Jack Barton. Yeah. No, it's it, it's he is too aware of himself and is not willing. I think we've talked about it. I, I know we have talked about it. I don't know if we've talked about it on air. Right. But just the rocks, uh, not inability, but refusal to lose. Uh, I know he's got that like in his contracts for like the Fast and Furious movies where it's like I cannot lose a fight. Yeah contractually obligated to not lose a fight, which would be the fucking antithesis of this character. Right. Exactly. Wins one fight accidentally. I just recently read that Robert Redford insisted that they take out a line from the way we were about him being bad in bed. (laughs) Um, but that, but that's what they were talking about in this commentary. Yeah. That's what John. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Saying that, that what, and I mean, my God, John Carpenter must've said it to him six different times. Uh, to to Kurt Russell and it's 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 I mean I'm, I don't want to tangent like 15 different directions here but let me just say how sweet of a person Kurt Russell seems to be for a yeah. guy that could sit there and talk about him he never once in that whole commentary he talked about the 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 like X's and O's of making movies yeah 
And he talked about his career, but he didn't talk about it like himself as some sort of exalted star. Yeah. And John and it was Carpenter, never like, finally, they recognized who I was. Right. And I, I made it big. Right. It, almost sort of like a, a Jack Burton in and of himself. Yeah. Like in, in, you know, just being sort of like, you know, but not really that. But I mean, just the fact that, you know, he he never tried to tried to paint himself as some sort of like giant star. And those people are idiots for not realizing it then. Right. So yeah, you're, you're like right. The lipstick at the end where he, he kisses Kim control, but she's been made up because she's going to be part of this wedding uh, procession. Yeah. And now he's got lipstick all over his lips and his teeth, you know, and Carpenter's like any other actor would have been like, well, clean me up. But Kurt Russell's like, Oh, I gotta have that makeup smeared all over right. my face during the big fight. Why wouldn't I? And 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 John Carpenter is saying over and over, like you wouldn't believe how many actors would not do something like yeah. this. Um, almost as if like I can't have anything make me look like a fool on screen because that's then what the public is going to think about me as a person or the roles that I can play. Right. So yeah, no. The Rock and and I I'm sure that we could sit down with The Rock and talk about this movie and just fanboy all over it and that would be great. But it's kind of like okay now and I'm gonna I'm not going to correct well, you but I'm gonna add I want a tangent real quick yeah keep that in mind yeah just a funny thing about The Rock that I heard someone else say because his whole thing with the with Black Adam that came out this year like the way he hyped it for two years was like the hierarchy of power is about to change in the DC universe yeah like that was his line he said that all the time the hierarchy is of power is about to change and then that movie did so poorly that literally the hierarchy of power in the DC universe did change <laughs> by them bringing in James Gunn and him saying yeah you're yeah no 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 Black Adam sequel we're yeah. done with that <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah. So, but yeah, irony people. But knowing the Rock, he would still take credit for that, though. Like, yeah. But um, and I like. I told you, I like Dwayne Johnson. I, I, I do. I think the guy does have a lot of talent, charisma, and all that stuff. But the thing, Saturday Night Live, yeah, they've been amazing. And the thing is, like, I will. I'm not. I'm not. Just to add to what you were saying about. They were going to make it. Um, they came out and said, well, we're not going to do an exact remake. We're going to like build on that universe or whatever. I, I'm going to I'm going to pause for just a second. Say that that wasn't always the case. When this first came out, the news that broke that they were looking at redoing Big Trouble in Little China, yeah. there was a massive amount of pushback on that. Yes. Oh, and yeah. and backlash and all of that sort of thing. And then they said, Oh, well, yeah, we're not, not gonna remake. Right. Yes, exactly. Because they couldn't. The only way they could remake it, and I'm not trying to be like weird about this or whatever, but um, I mean, if he wants to play the Wang character in Polynesia or whatever, like if he wants to be that, then it works. Right. And then you have a bumbling like, I don't know. Um, oh, who's the kind of like uh, Jack Black light guy from uh, the final girls? Uh, Adam. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. The guy was in workaholics. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. If you wanted to do that and he's like coupled with the rock and he's the new Jack Burton, like, okay. Like yeah. I, but you couldn't, you couldn't have the rock as Jack Burton. It just, it doesn't work. Yeah. I don't even know if he works as the, the Wang character. Not really. At least Wang is like, 
unassuming like he's your guy where it's like ah the the unassuming hero yeah the rock walks into a fucking room right everyone you know that that's kind of the weird thing about you know a guy like the rock or like arnold schwarzenegger where he tried to do you know they pull they do these movies where they're playing regular people and it's just like why is everyone there not going do you know how enormous you are like <laughs> right. you're not why am i not just staring at how gargantuan this this human being is the entire time right but but, but you know you make a great point but i'll tell you um weirdly like um some guys are finding a way around that like i know you love uh dave batista yeah. like he seems to be sort of finding a way around oh, yeah. that uh, John he's Cena put on it, a pair of little glasses and he's like a different guy. John Cena makes more fun of himself now than he does actually exalt himself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so there are ways around it, but they who they are physically is always still an element, whether it's made fun of or, or not. Yeah. So it just doesn't it just doesn't work that way. And the, uh, now we're not like we're the first ones to say this, but. There has to come a time and place where we as a as a people and Hollywood as a business understands that it's okay to just let things be as they were. Yeah. And to realize that doing it again doesn't mean doing it improved. Right. I don't know if you know, but this was not a hit when it came out. So. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I, you know, would I even go to see a Big Trouble in Little China what, n- not without Kurt Russell. I, I not yeah. without Kurt Russell. Why in the fuck would you even think to do that? Right. When he's still alive. Right. When he could still play some part. I absolutely would not go see that movie. Even out of the most morbid curiosity, I wouldn't see it. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'd watch it at home eventually, but I can't see it being a thing where I'm like, I have to go. I've got it marked on my, I've already pre-bought my tickets. I get the front row. <laughs> so, I'm um, rail. So now I, I want, I want to, uh, I'm going to go to the bathroom one more time just once, but I'm going to ask you this. There was a part that I was a little, I, I don't want to say let down about, but there was a part in that commentary where Kurt Russell was bringing up some criticisms of this movie that he thought might be valid. Oh, yeah. And I was kind of like, no, guys, like, don't <laughs> don't give up like you. Everything you did was right. But do you think just real quick while I hop out for a sec? Do you think that this movie did anything wrong? What were his criticisms? Well, it for? was that 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 there were that they were never in enough danger yes. for the audience okay. to think and also that um they didn't care about the love story between right. okay. yeah okay uh, f- uh funny aside the huge thanks uh, dr brian sent us some literal portable urinals uh but no way do i want tim pissing in here so they were funny little gag thank you for the gag gift um, but Tim is going to pee in the bathroom. Uh, so yeah, Kurt Russell did say, you know, some criticisms that he heard and he did agree with. Yes. Those were the two things. One, our characters never seem to be like the stakes are never that high where they seem to be in absolute danger. Um, and that also like there was, you know, the love story between him and Gracie law are not, you know, you are, you, you don't really care, which, you know, in retrospect, Yes, like I did feel that. Uh, like watching the movie, you are never like, "Oh my god, how are they going to get out of here?" 
Um, but I don't know. I don't know if that plays to the thing they're trying to get by in this movie of the, you know, kind of, you know, spoofing that white savior thing where it's, they are never in danger. You know, I didn't watch commando and was like, Oh no, I, will he succeed? Like, yeah, of course he's (laughs) going to fucking succeed. Um, you know, you, a guy gets eaten by a giant bug. You know, I, I, I guess I, I felt they were more in danger than I cared about the love story. But even they don't care about the love story. That's kind of the thing, you know. He the first time they kiss, she's like, "What? What was that?" And he's like, "Sorry, I just kind of got wrapped up yeah. in everything." Like I, I felt like it's almost like I felt like that's what I was supposed to do here, right? I mean, they obviously do have a connection. They're both fucking hot people in yeah. stressful situations, rescuing each other. Like, yeah, there's gonna be something there. But, Sorry, just thrilled to be alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, and even at the end, you know, aren't they, everyone's anticipating that thing I'm supposed to be seeing? Like, aren't, aren't you going to kiss her? And he's like, nah. "Well, let me just tell Not you really. something. Let, let me tell you something about that that very scene." I, don't I should wa- say real quick, uh, we yeah. watched this movie Tim only peed once during it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just something about the show that I, I will never solve it. But that scene, and I don't, I don't want to like overdo this. But there is something about whether I, I'd have to really sit and think about it. I don't know if it's the camera angles, if it's the timing, if it's the line delivery, if it's sort of the setup that we're all expecting and then the opposite. But that is one of my most favorite moments in a movie ever. Yeah. When, you know, you've got Kim Cattrall, who's, who's looked great throughout the movie, looks especially beautiful oh at the end. Oh, my God. And she's like leaning up against the pole doing just kind of that. There's a lot of body language going yeah. on right there. Yeah. Just presenting herself. Yeah. And they're kind of like leading up to it. You know, they're sort of jokingly going back and forth, bo- both kind of dancing around the idea of like, are we going to keep going with yeah. this? And but but in a sort of humorous way, like, you know, uh, him saying like, hey, I'm a rich, a rich man now. Do you want to like, you know, take off and see the yeah. country and blah, blah, blah. Which uh, uh, Nancy had a little problem with. She's like, oh, he has like three thousand dollars. He's not rich. <laughs> Like that is the joke, <laughs> right? And and then you've got Kim Cattrall coming back with like the only way it could work is if we got a new if you bought a new truck and big enough with a little cozy little apartment in the back and um you know yeah. so they're kind of dancing around yeah they it. both are like this is an unobtainable thing. right why even start something we'll never and but but then to have. Uh, even if she di- didn't serve much of any other purpose in the movie, you have Margot, the reporter, saying, aren't you going to even kiss her goodbye? And it's the perfect amount of timing. It's the perfect delivery. And Kurt Russell looks at Gracie. Or Jack Burton looks at Gracie Law with a look that very, very much just internally says, c- communicates his feelings for her. And you can tell that he feels something for her. Sure. And you can tell that both of them do. But that it's this really sort of tender acknowledgement on his part that it's it's just not meant to be. And he just gives that, nope. Like, it's it's the saddest and sweetest thing. It's one of my favorite moments in film ever. Wow. It's, it's, it's to me, I think that's so endearing. And then... 
and I, as I touched on earlier, when he says goodbye to Wang, that there's something about the looks on their faces, the way that he even when Jack opens the door to like go outside and kind of just looks around and sort of has that like, it's kind of like that feeling like after a sleepover when your parents are coming to pick you up and you're driving home and that magical universe that you were in for for those hours overnight is now just gone. Like, yeah. you know, that that kingdom is back to your is, routine. Right. You know, that the the it turned back into a pumpkin and now you're you're back to that reality. And you feel that at the end of this movie, it takes such a journey. The story is so well laid out. That when he has to say, when they say goodbye to each other, it feels, uh, it's it's kind of gut-wrenching in a way. Yeah. Like, it's it's really powerful. And they don't overdo it by any means, um, but it's it's very sincere. Yeah. And I think that that speaks a lot to what Kurt Russell was talking about in the commentary about the things that he takes away from these movies aren't what we see as the finished product of the film, but what his experiences are as a person making the film and the connections and the friendships and that sort of thing. And um, that, that last segment there just really is a gut punch for me. I mean, I, I, it's so well done. It's not overdone. Um, It's wonderful. It's, and, and it really is some Great fucking acting, you know, and that's the one thing I have it written down here. I just wrote Kurt Russell's the best actor ever. I literally I have this wow. note written down like I I just there's not a false note anywhere, whether it's the comedy or when he's being slightly serious or or angry or frustrated or whatever, like he's selling it the whole way through. Yeah. And 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 probably we don't even as an audience deserve that good of a supporting <laughs> cast to go along with it, right. or as cool of a movie to go along with it. But um, yeah, I just I see that performance as like you want to talk about a tour de force. I mean, I he's just so spot on in that moment, um, and really sort of laying the groundwork. I mean, I guess if I sat here and I thought about other movies and you know, reluctant heroes or whatever. I'm sure that they, there's plenty to go around, but I really feel like he carved something out really unique in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I and agree. it, ne- and it never goes away no matter how often part of it is helped by the fact that guy's fucking gorgeous. He's, he's beaut. I mean, he's just a, he's got a really sincere sort of dreamy look about him. Um, he's, he looks like a hulking beast in this movie, (laughs) you know? Um, and, uh, he's just, well, he lifted weights for two months before (laughs) shooting this two months. Yeah. That's all it takes folks. Yeah. There's a part where they're like, kind of, they're escaping the Lords of death and they're like kind of scuttling through a weird, I don't even know what you would call it. Some like viaduct that's close to outside. But he like gets rid of his jacket. Nancy's like, "Why would he get rid of his jacket?" I'm like, "To look fucking hotter." <laughs> yeah. Then like that was getting in the way of how good he looked. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's and uh, I mean, the guy has a full on mullet, and it looks fantastic. <laughs> it does. Um. But yeah, it's he's hotter in the thing though. Uh. Yeah. In a more classic sense. Yeah. yeah. Um. But no, I think that. Uh, I think that that any movie that takes you on a journey, I guess that's what I'm really getting at here is that by the time we get to that end scene, we feel like we've gone through this with these people. Like we feel like we've, 
we've uh, we've all made this journey together. And I know that sounds like just, you know, overstated bullshit, but but it really does. I mean, it's the, the kind of the music sort of tone sort of comes down the the tone of the scenes sort of like comes down and gets a little tighter and more intimate. Um, and it feels like the end of a journey. Yeah. And it, it it's what a great it's like a. It's the closest that you can get to the excitement that you felt when you were a kid and watching like never ending story or whatever. Like if you want to experience that as, as an adult, it's big trouble in little China. Yeah. It's kind um, of weird how the Lords of death play no part in this movie. Like that's something I never really put together until I was older where I was like, Oh, like they they introduce one threat and then they are immediately replaced by and just like greater his, threat. Right, exactly. You know, good point. Yeah, he, they're just kind of like his henchmen on the outside, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Because like as a kid, I think I thought they were kidnapping people for Lopan, but they're just doing their own human trafficking thing. Right. And then Lopan catches wind that they've got someone he wants and yeah. they steal them from them. Yeah. Good point. And and I think maybe I think that that maybe they're necessary because Lopan has to it kind of like um, amps up his sort of secrecy or like his existence in this sort of underworld or whatever. Yeah. They're kind of like the bad guys on the outside, like an extension of him, right. I guess. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's well put together and I do believe it stands the test of time. Now I, I meant to mention him and give him a shout out on the last episode. I uh, happens to be as equally a huge fan of, of this movie. Um, our sweet friend, uh, Tom O'Neill. Yeah. It literally in, and not in a sort of manufactured way, but in a very genuine way, I think like is carving out his life to be Kurt Russell, like all of, <laughs> all of the awesomeness of all of his characters, whether it's Jack Burton or snake Pliskin or, um, McCready or whoever it may be like, he's, he's kind of like made himself into a real life, yeah. um, character in that way. And, uh, and, and he's younger than us. And so, you know, I know that he's I only been lifting weights for two months. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> Look up Tom O'Neill with two L's. I mean, two months <laughs> is all it takes to get to where he's at. Um, but I, I think that it speaks to something. I know I say a lot, I, I, you know, say my shit about millennials, but he very squarely falls in that category. And even the younger version of millennials and absolutely loves this film. Yeah. I mean, loves it. Super fan. And so I do think that I know that it has staying power that way. Yeah. Maybe not everybody likes it, but I think that it probably just goes to show that, fantasy let uh, forget horror like we're lamenting how few horror movies have been nominated i I think that genre of fantasy is just something that's an even further out genre that that gets no respect yeah um unless it's lord of the rings oh good point (laughs) but still i mean that's it right but but I mean you had better pour the most money anyone's ever poured into a trilogy. But it's like to it's, get our it's like it's like you have to go full fantasy. Like you have to I won't say the word, but like you can't go part way. Well, um, what's the full word? Well, like uh just the uh you have to, in you know, like the way they say going full artard, you have to go oh, full, Jesus. you have to go full fantasy to get any respect. But if you go half fantasy, right. then you're just silly. Right. Um, oh, so it's not never go full fantasy. Yeah. 
You always go full fantasy. Speaking of which, there is a girl in my daughter's school that I I refer to her not because not for what she who she is, but what she said one time. She was angry. She was upset. There was an administrator. She got in trouble in class. An administrator came came down uh, to tell her that she needed to come with her to to go to the office. And the girl just flat out to this administra- administrator's face called her an F and R tard um, and uh, and got suspended. Um, but either way, my point is that. These midway fantasy films probably don't get made a whole lot because it is such a gamble. Yeah. Because are, I mean, are, are we that dumb as a as a viewing audience that we can't handle like a balanced bit of something that it has to be like some ancient made up land of lore for us to like be in on the ride? Right. Why does it have to be one or the other? And it just goes to show with they talk about like how movies uh executives don't know how to market these movies and it's like well why don't you just say what it is like why does it i get it that you have to like try to reach that target audience that you think is going to come out and buy a ticket yeah but like i think we can handle it um you know i i think that we don't need it to be one or the other and this movie will never be one or the other that's what makes it so great yeah that it is that mix yeah so Thankfully, we're good at targeting marketing now. Yes. Really, really good. Yeah, subconsciously. Yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> yes. How, yeah, how far did we go? Oh, you know, it's, uh, we're up there. Okay. Uh, so that's it. That I mean, that's probably the last John Carpenter, unless I someday, someday will do yeah. in the mouth of madness. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 I want to be scared. Yeah, I yeah. would love to see it. Yeah. Maybe even vampire. Like, I'm waiting. Like, what's the next movie of John Carpenter's where people are all of a sudden like, oh, shit. Actually, Ghost of Mars is a masterpiece. <laughs> Probably Elvis. If they go back and start watching other, like, now that Elvis oh, yeah, is so popular. Elvis, yeah. yeah. But I don't know if we can shoehorn that into a horror. Uh... I did like Elvis. You know what my only problem with watching Elvis was? What? So much Elvis music. <laughs> You're not a fan? Not really. Oh, I love So, I mean, the the story and the performances were great. I thought Tom Hanks was a little too distracting, even even for a Laz Berman uh, movie. Yeah. Uh, but not bad. Just distracting. Yeah. That Austin Butler fucking crushed it. Like, I was like, oh, I like Elvis. And then they would play a song. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't. Yeah, and now and- I got to sit through the whole thing. Although the, the one at the end is awesome. And if we're talking about sort of like a full circle connection there uh, to what we're just saying, John Carpenter makes the thing. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter makes Elvis. Elvis comes out. And yet somehow the new Elvis mentions snow more than the thing. <laughs> Somehow that word creeps <laughs> creeps its way in every about minute and a half yeah. of Elvis. There's something about a snow job or we snowed them or that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It must be a Dutch, Dutch yeah. phrase. <laughs> right. Is there that much snow in <laughs> no. Dutch land? No. Wherever it is. Is there any? I don't know. Yeah, I've never yeah. really seen a snowy picture. Kind of seems always seems like a nice like windmill kind of day out there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Where is that again? Where where are the Dutch from? Holland. Holland. Okay. Yeah. 
And that's a full-size country? It is. It oh, sure geez. is. They got other cities and everything. <laughs> it's not just Amsterdam. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah. It's also, you know, Hicken von Spreuden. No, that's more German. Yeah. I don't know. I can't do a Dutch. <laughs> they're, they're all pretty close there. Yeah. They didn't used to be. They're they're all together now. Are they? Yeah, yeah, they were fractured. Now they are a union. Uh, Holland and Germany. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're like buddies now. Oh, are they? Yeah. Okay. Crazy, right? Yeah, I would. Yeah, the Germans have such a history of of uh, neighborliness. Yeah. You know. Well, Europe as a whole was like, you get two shots. That's it. <laughs> right. Just play and Germany was like, we'll be nice now. Now they're like <laughs> right. one of the nicest European countries. It's because their people are weird and are self-reflective and maybe learn things <laughs> from their history. <laughs> I don't recommend it, people. <laughs> no. Just keep on bearing along like you're the best fucking thing. Yeah. All right. So that was our John Carpenter series, I Made a Thing. That was <clears throat> Big Trouble in Little China from 1986. Join us next week. It's a new month. Uh, a new we are doing a new mini series, uh, and it's called Twenty Two Redo, and it's a bunch of great movies that came out last year that Tim didn't watch, and we're <laughs> yes. making him watch them. Uh, actually, one of these I didn't watch either, so um, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, we're just doing a. Like the the some of the top movies that aren't barbarian, we're saving that for maybe something special down the road. Mm. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, but not doing barbarian, so I'm sure if you were paying attention, although I mean, last year there are a ton of great horror movies that came out. Yeah. So I'm sure there were some that came out that people are like, "Why the fuck aren't you covering Speak No Evil?" Well, we're not. There's a little spoiler. We're not doing that one. <laughs> But that was, I never really heard of that one last year, but that seemed to be at the top of a lot of lists. That was not the remake of the uh, Richard Pryor, uh, Gene Wilder. <laughs> right. No. no. Okay. Yeah. That was their foster son because they did uh, see no evil, hear no evil. Oh, okay. And then they have a mute son. Yes. Speak no evil. No. It Got was it. Not. <laughs> Nor are we doing Terrifier 2. So mark that one off your list. Yeah. But we are doing, we're going to start Ooh. from 2022. X, Ty West, X, homage to 70s horror and porn. Mm. <laughs> How have I not seen this movie? I don't know, Tim. I know these <laughs> movies on this list. Well, one of them I'd be like, all right, I get it. Yeah. At least, no, at least three of these. I'm like, how did you not watch these <laughs> right, movies right. last year? So, yeah, join us next week. It's Redo 22. We're starting with X. Um, please check out our website, Slumber Podcast Massacre.com. Shoot us an email, slumberpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, check out all our other shit, YouTube, all, all that stuff. I'm going to probably start a TikTok. I put some lights up in here, which Ooh. will give it that kind of a cooler look. Put up the, the LCD, the LEDs, LEDs, they're yeah. LCDs. Uh, it looks cool. Looks yeah, neat looks, in here. It looks cool. Yeah, you didn't notice them when you walked in, but that's fine. yeah. <laughs> It's brighter than normal. It's how naturally they fit into the, yeah. the whole if concept. If we were yeah. recording at night like we usually do, it would look a little cooler. In here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it does look. Plus, uh, we usually have the red light anyway yeah. in the corner. So you probably just any red light that you saw, because I do have them set at red right now. Oh, yeah. And I like it. I mean, it's, it's a horror podcast. For well, yeah, that's kind yeah. of our color of our logo. Yeah. 
red, red, white, and black. Have you seen that um, Vanta black? Have you heard about that? Like the black is black? Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it, no. I'm going to show it to you. It is, I, I was about to say, like, if, if there's such a thing as a black light, which there is, but it's not black. But no, I, I will purple. show you something, and it is fantastic. It's amazing. You All won't right. believe your eyes. Wow. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Huge thank to our uh, patrons. You help make show, this show possible. We couldn't do it without you. Tim, do you got anything else? To say about big trouble in little China, I do, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a fresh take here. Ooh, trivia. Okay, there is one use of the f word in this movie. Where is it? Oh man, is it in English? Yes. Okay. Um, I I don't know. After they drink the potion, yeah. There is a part where they come up to a wall and Jack Burton is tapping on it and uh, he goes and he just says, fuck it. And then he just slashes oh, it with yeah, his knife. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The one F word. Yeah. And the whole thing. Wow. Yes. All right. Yeah. So fuck it. See you next fucking week, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.